Amen. Thank you, Kathy. What a great song and what a glorious truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, that is our blessed hope. Amen. Amen. That as bad as things are today, they're going to get better because our dear Savior, one of these days, is coming. Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. Numbers, chapter 14. I made mention this morning in the message that uh, about sometimes sermons are interesting because of, uh, you know, uh, maybe the historical significance or something of that nature. And and really this morning my intent was to preach from Daniel chapter 5 and to go into detail about some things related to the times in which Daniel lived. And, and then God laid this on my heart during the course of the afternoon, and the more I thought about it, and perhaps in the light of the message this morning, we're talking about, you know, so many times during our tough times, our difficult days, uh, there's great temptation during those times, because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves disgruntled, out of sorts with the Lord Himself, and uh, that always gets us in trouble. Well, in this chapter tonight, I want to speak to you about the misfortunes of murmuring. And before we look at the chapter, I, I want to remind you of what Paul said many years after the fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10. And he's writing to the church at Corinth, naturally. And he said, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. And throughout this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10... He's been talking about the children of Israel and them murmuring against the Lord. If there's anything that all churches have in common, it's this. There'll always be someone who complains. Every church is different in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, some churches don't sing anything but the old hymns that we sang tonight. Some churches don't sing anything except the modern contemporary songs and the praise choruses. And naturally, as you know, we, we got a mixture of all of those. And, and then sometimes it'll be all Southern gospel or whatever it might be. Uh, there's good music in all of them. But, but a, lot, a lot of folks, you know, have different opinions about different things. And someone asked this morning if we were Southern Baptists. I said, no, we're just an independent, unaffiliated Baptist church. We're just a regular old Baptist church, the kind that, that all churches used to be, all Baptist churches. And uh, that's before man started inventing conventions and fellowships and associations and all of that stuff. And so, you know, but there's all of, all of these differences. But the one thing that every church has in common, and that is that there's going to be somebody that's disgruntled, somebody that's going to complain. There's no possible way for us to live without that happening. And the problem is we don't always see the seriousness of the problem. And that's why it's so helpful when we consider ancient Israel and, uh, and the serious mistake that they made. They missed a great opportunity to enter into the promised land. And if you try to pinpoint all of the reasons, in fact, Paul, in making reference to this, mentioned several different sins. But whenever you try to 
pinpoint the exact reason, and you come up with a lot of things. There was fear, pride, anger, selfishness, stubbornness. But the one thing that always keeps coming to the surface is murmuring. They were always complaining about something. It didn't make any difference what Moses did. Uh, sooner or later, they complained about it. And so as, as you read this story, you'll discover that they never were satisfied with anything for very long. Uh, whether, you know, the quail, God gave them quail. I, I don't know about uh, uh, how, how you feel about it, but that's one of the greatest delicacies on the face of the earth, quail. My, it's delicious. I don't know how anybody can get tired of eating that. Of course, God wouldn't let them eat bacon back then, Tony, but uh, they had quail. They complained about the quail, you know. So it, it wouldn't have made any difference if God had said you can have bacon. It wouldn't have been long. They would have been complaining about that. And the sad thing is they felt like they just had to express it. And over the years, I've noticed that's the way most people are. You know, they can't just silently get disgruntled very long. Now, you can see it, you know, boiling up within them sometimes. You can tell, you know, something wrong with so-and-so. They're just not themselves. And you can tell there's a problem of some kind, and you don't know exactly what it is. Well, you just be patient. It won't be long. They'll tell you. Or they'll tell somebody. Because most people cannot keep it to themselves when they get disgruntled about something. And that's what was going on here. The, the, the problem is, actually, this is a symptom of a deeper problem, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. The deeper problem is the fact that these people were not fully committed to God's plan. In, in other words, they had, an, they had a different priority. They had their own agenda, and that's always a problem. Uh, and uh, these people had, you know, a better idea, that they thought, than Moses did and uh, complained about everything that he uh, commanded them to do. Well, this is where the greatness of Moses really shines through because, listen, you cannot force immature, spiritually immature, disgruntled, selfish, stubborn people to do what they ought to do. You can't make them do it if, if they don't want to. So the whole question is, what do you do about it? Well, when we look at Moses, we find that, that, that he went right on serving the Lord. Over the years, I've known a lot of preachers that I've known some preachers that took a church and the same week that they took the church and were installed as the pastor, they resigned. They realized, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was, and I'm never going to be happy here, and so I, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out while the getting's good, and so they just left. Listen, the, the, life's never going to be fair. Life's never going to be easy. There's always going to be problems. I, every, every time I, I talk to a, a couple that's planning on getting married, I tell them the same thing. Life is kind of like flying an airplane. And you're off course about 90-some percent of the time. You know, we look at these big jet airliners get up there, and let's say they're flying from here to Dallas or wherever they're going, they're off course about 90% of the time. I mean, they cannot just stay on a direct path from point A to point B. They have to keep making adjustments. 
And that's the way it is in life. But some people, all they want to do is complain. Now, let's look here in chapter number 14 and verse number 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Now, notice what he says, and here we see the seriousness of this matter. In God's sight, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephthah and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Now, tonight I want you to notice the consequences of complaining. And the very first thing that ought to jump out at us is the fact the first consequence here is that it is a disgrace to the nation or a disgrace to the person, the people involved. These people had failed to fulfill their God-given mission. God said to Abraham many years before, he said, I will bless thee and make thee a blessing to many nations. And that was God's plan. God was going to prosper them to such a great extent that it would so impress the other nations that they would come to understand the reality that Jehovah was the true and the living God. That was the plan. But these people refused to cooperate. God wants to make them a blessing. He said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll dwell in a land and live in houses that you did not build. And uh, you'll eat of the, the, the vineyards that you did not plant. I'm going to give all of these things to you. And yet they refused. And as he tells us in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Can you imagine that? Think about you and I, puny man, limiting what God can do. And yet, that's what happens. It's as though he's saying that you've tied my hands. You have, you have uh, refused to cooperate. You have limited the things that I wanted to do. Listen, it's always a disgrace. Whenever we fail to fulfill God's purpose in our life, regardless of what that is, whether it's being a homemaker, whether it's being a missionary on a foreign field, whether it's being a deacon in the church or singing in the choir, whatever it is that God wants you to do, to fail in that regards is a disgrace. And these people were failing and they're complaining as a result of the things that God wanted to do. Let me ask you a question. What could be more important than God's plan for your life? Well, the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing 
is more important than that. And yet here is a people that had complained against God and as a result of it, they brought disgrace upon the nation of Israel. In fact, whenever you read the history of Israel, you discover that during the times that God had to bring judgment upon them to correct them, all of the heathen nation round about that were supposed to be astonished at the goodness of God, they were all saying, Oh, where is your God now? You've been talking about how great Jehovah is. Where is He now? Just look at you now. You see, not only was it a disgrace to the nations, but it was a shameful thing concerning their attitude toward God. And all of this is the result of them not cooperating with God's plan for their life. He said, I'm going to bring you into the land. Well, they get up to the border at Kadesh Barnea. They send out the spies, and the spies go in. Well, you know the story. They come back with the report. There's giants in the land. And uh, so, you know, some of them said, the majority said, this proves the majority is not always right. Whether it's, you know, the election of the president or whatever, the majority is not always right. Uh, but nevertheless, they come back and said, there's giants in the land. And, of course, Joshua and Caleb said, well, yeah, but that's all right. We'll squash them. And, and the, other, the other fearful spies said, oh, we're, they're giants and we're like grasshoppers. They'll just squash us. We don't stand a chance. And so as a result of that, the people decided, wait a minute, we don't want to go. And so God says to them, said, all right, you don't want to go. You'll die in the wilderness. And, and you go back and read the story and it's like, oh, no, we've changed our mind. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll go. And I said, oh, no, it's too late now. And it was. It was too late because they had refused to cooperate with God's plan. Listen, God is not going to receive our half-hearted allegiance. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Our half-hearted allegiance to Him. And that's why when Jesus said, unless a man forsake all of the hath, he cannot be my disciple. It's the same principle. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, everything that is within us. And these people were not there yet, and it was a disgrace to the nation. But look at verse 33 because the consequences do not end there. Notice in verse 33, we see the second consequence is the difficulties regarding their children. Verse 33, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcass be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days each day for a year, shall ye... Bear your iniquities even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. And I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all of this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness, and they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Do you notice what he's saying here? I mean, what they did was awful, not only because of how it affected them, it was a disgrace, and it brought destruction upon them, but notice how it affected others. It subjected their children to 38 more years, a total of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And remember, he had already told them 
all of those from 20 years and upward, they're going to die in the wilderness. And these children, those under 20, all of the way down, they are witnessing their people dying like flies every day. I mean, it's one funeral after another, after another, after another. For 40 long years, we see that. Those children wandering in the wilderness when they could have been in the land flowing with milk and honey, when they could have been dwelling in a house, there they are in the wilderness. When they could have been eating, you know, from the flocks and the herds and and the, the grapes and so forth, there they are out in the wilderness wandering around with no permanent dwelling. You see, their sin brought this curse even upon their own children. And you and I need to stop and consider how our attitude and our actions are going to affect our children. Well, what was the sin? Well, it gets right back to the matter of them murmuring, complaining to Moses and about God, basically. Because Moses is the man that God put there in the position of leadership. And they're complaining, regardless of what he says. Is somebody going to complain about it? And God doesn't take that lightly. And as a result of their murmuring and complaining, now their children are living all of those years in the wilderness. Over and over and over again, I see people get disgruntled and they drop out of church. And as a result of that, when they do, they end up taking their kids with them out of church and they never are able to get them back in to church. You know, later, I can remember preaching a revival meeting just out of St. Louis many years ago, and this couple, something like that had happened. They'd got all been out of shape, and they had dropped out of church. And during the revival meeting, they came during the invitation, and they told me the story how that, you know, we backslid, we got out of church. Now the children were up around 20 years old, something like that. And they said, we're right with God now, we're in church but please pray for our children. Now they don't have any interest in the things of the Lord whatsoever. And folks, it's so heartbreaking. And it all goes back to our sin, and in this case, the sin of murmuring and complaining. You know, so many times, and, and Bev and I have experienced this, and I, I can oftentimes tell that something is wrong. You know how I know something's wrong? by the way the children interact with, with Bev or I. And you can tell something's going on in that family. They're hearing something in that family. They're hearing mom or hearing dad complain about something, and they get real standoffish with the preacher and his wife all of a sudden. Now, let me, let me add to that. I don't know if any of that's going on right now, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, right now, if you're doing that, you've got it covered up pretty well. And that's what you ought to do. Keep it out of the hearing of the kids. You know, if you want to criticize me, just help yourself. But just keep it to yourself. 
There's no reason for you to involve your kids because, listen, sooner or later, they're going, they're going to see through that religious facade that you've got up and they're going to see you for what you really are and your hypocrisy is going to be so offensive to them that Christianity will become repulsive to them. And you better think about what your attitude and actions are doing to your children. All of those years in the wilderness, why? All because they said, we don't like God's plan for our life. Now, look at verse 36. The consequences didn't end there. Not only is there disgrace to the nation and difficulty for the children, but notice, I want you to notice that there was destruction to the ringleaders. Verse 36 And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all of the congregation to murmur against him, by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. You know, there's all, nearly always a ringleader or a few, and in this case, it, were the, it was the, the fearful spies that had gone over there. And they came back, and, and notice that God is holding them responsible for the fact they so influenced the nation that the majority of the people said, we don't want to go. There's giants over there. We're afraid. We're just going to stay on this side of Jordan, you know. We're not going to... We're not going to cooperate with God's plan. We're not going to follow Moses. And what happens? These men all died. I could tonight, and if this wasn't being recorded, I would give you some examples of those that have set themselves against, against God's leaders. And they're dead today. And, and, and I'm telling you, it's a dangerous thing. The Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. And I want you to know that that extends beyond just doing bad things and saying bad things about the preacher. I think that applies to all of God's children. Listen, whenever, whenever you, when you talk about my wife or my children in a negative way, I'm going to take that personal. And I want you to know God takes it personal when you, whenever you talk about His children, when you criticize them, when you hurt them and you hinder them, God's going to take that personal. And that's what happened. Somebody, you know, says, well, you know, what I do is my business. No, the very minute that you join the church, it becomes the church's business. A lot of folks don't realize how responsible they are to the Lord's church. And a lot of them don't realize how they are jeopardizing their very lives. The ringleaders were destroyed. Life for the children was made difficult. The nation was disgraced. Turn to chapter 20 because there's something else that happens now. And that's discouragement. Here's another consequence, discouragement to their leader. In chapter number 20, and we're not going to read all of it, but here in chapter 20, 
we see the children of Israel complaining. Verse 2, there was no water, and they gathered themselves against Moses. Verse 3, and all of the people chode with Moses. So they're all complaining, we want, we want water. And, and notice down to verse 7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brethren, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. Well, that's simple enough. To speak to the rock and... Why is it we always want to take the supernatural out of Christianity? Why is it that we are so afraid that God might do a miracle when He's done so many before? Water out of a rock, I mean, that just doesn't make sense. And here they are complaining again. They haven't learned their lesson yet. After all of those people died, in fact, if you, if you look back in chapter 16, God killed 14,950 of the troublemakers. Nearly 15,000 that He killed as a result of instigating dissension in the congregation. And they still haven't learned their lesson. They're still complaining. But God is still gracious and merciful, and He says, Moses, speak. Unto the rock. Now, I've already mentioned how great Moses was. I mean, here's a man that's willing to stay by the stuff, a man that's willing to stick with those people, even after he discovered that he himself could not enter into the promised land, he continued on with the work God gave him to do. But let me tell you, even, listen, there is a breaking point for even the greatest leaders, the greatest men. And eventually Moses is affected because of their complaining. And he caused him to lose his temper, and rather than speaking to the rock, he smote the rock twice. In other words, it's a display of anger. And that resulted in him being banned from the promised land. Now, I know that what they did does not in any way justify his failure, but it certainly contributed to it. And they've got to bear some of the responsibility because they, you know, they really couldn't ask for a much better leader than Moses was, and yet they refuse to follow him, and they're complaining about everything that he does, and finally he loses his temper. You know, that can, that can happen with about anyone that's really passionate about something. Now, you know, if you're cold and indifferent and... By the way, a lot of preachers develop this mentality as a means of protection because they get so tired of getting disappointed. What they do is to isolate themselves. They build a wall around themselves. They don't let anybody in. They don't get close to anybody. And they develop the attitude, it's my responsibility to preach, and I'm going to get up there and I'm just going to give them the truth, and I don't care whether they like it or not, I'm going to give them the truth, and I'm going to close my Bible and go home. And 
You know, when a preacher reaches that point, really he ought to do the honest thing and resign because his ministry is over. If I ever get to the place that on Sunday afternoon it doesn't trouble me deeply because there was no response to the preaching of God's Word, I need to resign. And when you're passionate about something, it's easy to go overboard. It's easy to get out of balance. It's easy to make a horrible mistake. And that's what we see here. And there's two lessons in this part for us that we need to be concerned about. We need to consider what great harm we can cause because we discourage others. I mean, these people had discouraged this great man to the point that now he does something in disobedience to God. One of the great passages related to the church and the pastors is found over in the book of Hebrews in chapter number 13. And it's talking about the church and their, atti- and their attitude toward the pastor and that they are, to, they are to submit themselves to the pastor's leadership. And there's a little phrase there that says this, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable to you. I'm so glad I can stand here tonight and say of a certainty that this church has a concern for its pastors and that you have enabled me to be able to minister with joy and not with grief. To do otherwise, he says, would be unprofitable for you, by the way. So we've got to be careful lest we do something foolish that's going to discourage others. But the second lesson here is that we've got to be careful that we don't get so perturbed by, by those who murmur that we fail to fulfill our mission. Are you with me? We've been talking about the people and the ill effect they had on Moses, but now we're talking about Moses. He is so upset with their failure that now it becomes... His failure. Am I making sense? That can happen so easy. I had a preacher friend up in the Cincinnati area. I think this happened twice. Uh, but, I, 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 but I know of one time anyway that he, uh, from the pulpit, uh, just invited one of the members out to the parking lot for fisticuffs. And he meant it too. He wasn't playing around. I mean, he was, he was ready to go to Fist City. Uh, and and he had a bad habit of <laughs> letting things get out of hand. And I understand how that can happen. I, I've often thought about Nehemiah, you know. You go over and read that last chapter where he, 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 the Bible says he plucked the beard out of their face and cursed them. I, I've never done that. But I felt like it. I mean, I'm just trying to be honest. There have been times, I can think of three or four people right now that I just, uh, I, I, I got to really be careful here. I'm skating on thin ice. But I, if I, to, to be, you know, on the kind side, I'd really like to just give them a piece of my mind. 
because of the way they're hurting others and the potential they have for hurting the church and the disrespect they're showing for God. That's terrible. But listen to me. There are going to be people that are going to mistreat you in life. And we've got to be certain that we don't let their failure become our downfall. In other words, that we fall as a result of finding fault with the fault finders. You see, there's a danger in dealing with with these kind of problems. Because whenever somebody is criticizing you and complaining about everything you do, I mean, that's a, that's a bitter pill to swallow, right? It really is. To have a sweet, kind spirit. And uh, whenever somebody's been talking about you, yeah, I'll never forget several years ago, a woman got all upset with me. I hadn't been there that long. She got really upset. And she said, I'll tell you what. She said, the last pastor I wanted out of here, I prayed for him, and he died. And she said, I'm praying for this one. And I was thinking to myself, boy, I hope she's not on praying terms with God. But it so happened that one of our, one of our other members, who was just a young lady, kind of newly married and everything, and not somebody that you would think would really get in somebody's face, and Gail... Kathy knows who I'm talking about. Gail got in her face and told her, <laughs> you, you better get your mouth off of my pastor. You better leave him alone. And, and, and basically threatened her. Enough of that. But I tell you, when you hear about people doing things like that, it's hard to be nice to them. But some way or another, God convinced me John deer hunting, a preacher by the name of Johnny Sanders and I, and we'd gone deer hunting, I killed a deer, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take part of that deer by and give it to them. And uh, now I'm not saying I had just the sweetest spirit in the world about it, and but I did it anyway. And, and it was really amazing the way that woman responded to me after that. But I'll tell you, there have been times that I've been so close to, to responding the wrong way. You, you see, it's easy for us to look around and we can find... I, I've got to tell you, just about every Sunday night, I get about half mad. Because about half the congregation is gone. Sunday morning, this place is full. Sunday night, you look out there and it's like, where did everybody go? You know, and for the life of me, I don't understand why Sunday morning is more important than Sunday night. And I don't understand why someone wouldn't enjoy being in the Lord's house with God's people on Sunday night. I don't understand that. I don't understand why churches stop having services on Sunday night. Except for the fact and this is no justification, but I'm going to tell you what happens. After a while, the congregation continues to dwindle to the point that the preacher in his mind thinks, you know, the effort is just not, not worth it. We don't have that many people coming. We'll just start having choir practice on Sunday night or this or that or the other and no, no service. And after a while, there's no service on Sunday night, no midweek service. 
And after a while, you get the news, well, that church disbanded. It's gone under. It closed its doors. You see, we've got to be so careful because when we look around in the church, you can find fault with me. I mean, if you don't know of any, talk to Bev after the service and she can clue you in. And uh, Because I've got plenty of faults. And so do you. And we can all look around and find faults with each other. But number one, we need to realize we're all just sinners saved by grace, and none of us, none of us have got this down perfect yet. We need to learn to be more patient with each other. But the second thing about that is we should never be talking to others about others. Never. There's no justification for that. You say, oh, but i got a problem with them. Well, then you go to them in private and talk to them in private like the Bible tells you to do. And you work it out between the two of you. You don't have to tell everybody else in the church about their failure. It's none of their business. And I've said so many times over the years, and I know this from observation, I've seen people do wrong. They've committed a sin. What they did was wrong, and it was harmful. But they made it right. But the problem was... The people talking about the thing they did that was wrong end up doing more harm than the original person that sinned. And and if there hadn't been any talk about it, any gossip about it, why, you know, it would have died out and everything would have been all right. Not all that many years ago, one of, well, it used to be one of our members said, said, I'd preached on gossip, I think, that day, and something that went out the door saying to some of them, well, he can preach about gossip all he wants, but he's not going to stop us from gossiping. You know what? She was right. I can't stop it, but I can do what I'm doing tonight. I can warn you that whenever you do that and you murmur and complain about God and about God's people, you're laying your life on the line. God's not playing games, folks. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Now, this brings us down to the last thing. And this is the, listen, of all of the consequences, this is the most important. I said in the beginning that it brought disgrace to the nation. It brought difficulties to the children, destruction to the ringleaders, discouragement to their godly leader. But the worst thing about all of this is it showed disrespect for God. That was the worst thing about their murmuring because the Bible makes it very clear that their sin was against God. God took it personal. I mean, He says so. I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Now, had you asked them, they would say, oh, no, 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 we're not criticizing God. It's that Moses. We're fed up with him. We're not angry with God. You see, they would have denied that. But the fact of the matter is, Moses was the man that God put in a position of leadership over them. He, in other words, he said, this is the man I want you to follow. I'm going to instruct him. I'm going to tell him what I want you to do. And he's going to tell you what I told him. And you follow him. Well, sounds like a good plan. Moses was a good man. God's a perfect God. But they turned around and complained. 
You know, this morning I talked about the fact that life is often difficult. And we have got to be so very careful that we don't complain. Brother Nolan praying a while ago and, uh, and mentioned Job. And you think about Job and all that Job lost. Wow. I mean, he lost everything, basically. And yet you go back and you read the story. And in all of this, the Bible tells that he made no foolish charges against God. He never criticized God. Now, he didn't understand why all this bad stuff was happening to him. He didn't understand that. It didn't make sense to him. But he knew better than to criticize God. And I'm telling you, when you're going through tough times in life, don't, don't, please don't make the mistake of acting as though God is being unfair with you. Others will be. Others will mistreat you. But God's never unfair. Does God let bad stuff happen? Yeah, He does. He allows it to happen. But in His divine providence, His great sovereignty, God takes all of these bad things and like the ingredients in the cake, He takes all of the bad things and the bad and the good and He puts it all together and He makes something good out of it. And He said to them, I've got a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll never lack for anything. And all you've got to do is go over there and take it. I've given you the victory. You've just got to have the faith to stand up against the giants, and it's all yours. And they failed. They murmured and they complained. The question is, what about you? There are going to be some giants that you're going to have to face, some difficulties that you're going to encounter. There are going to be people that will murmur and complain about you. Here some time ago... some of you probably going to know what I'm making reference to. There, there was a young person that, uh, that uh, and I don't know exactly what happened, a young person that, that had the special one night. And I don't know who said what, but I know somebody said something, and the kid walked off of the platform and told his folks, I'll never do that again. How horrible, how terrible that somebody would criticize or say something that would discourage somebody from trying to do anything for the Lord. God help us to never be the guilty party. Boy, when you stop and think about all that the Lord has done for you, that He saved you by His grace. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. God loved us in the while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. He suffered our hell for us. And He saved us all because of His grace. And I don't care what happens to me the rest of my life. I never have any reason to complain. If I have a heart attack tonight, get cancer tomorrow, whatever happens, I don't want it to happen, but if it does, 
I don't have any reason to complain to God about anything because He's never done me nothing but good. Amen. And whether you realize it or not, that's all He's ever done for you is nothing but good. Don't murmur and don't complain. Don't discourage others. Don't hurt yourself. Don't destroy your children. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for the warning that you've given us in this story. And Lord, even as I speak tonight, I realize how many times I've been right on that ragged edge, right on the, right on the verge of, of going to the extreme and doing something that I would regret deeply and and in some way maybe even pay for for the rest of my life. Something that would bring shame and reproach upon you and something that would hinder this church. And it's only by your grace that I didn't go to that extreme. But Lord, tonight I realize that every person here goes through those struggles. We all face those difficulties and we all need your help. So help us, Lord, in the tough times to focus on the good times. Help us, Heavenly Father, when it seems the whole world is against us, to remember that you're for us and that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. As we stand